0: All right, you have your Bible, we are looking this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture from 2 Kings, and then I want to read, go to the New Testament, to 2 Timothy. And uh, this will <coughs> form our text of Scripture this morning, 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, <clears throat> and 2 Timothy, the first chapter. All right, 2 Kings four twenty five and 26. And so she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass that when the man of God saw her afar off, he said unto Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. In 2 Timothy 1, I'm beginning with verse number 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest in the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you, Lord, and we're praying and believing that you will bring anointing to the word of God, that you would help me to speak what you've given, Lord, to the church to say today, and let it be received as the word of God, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. Amen and amen. Shake hands with four or five people as you're being seated this morning. Go on your way to greet someone. Welcome them to the house of God. What an awesome day, what an awesome day, awesome, amen. awesome, praise amen. God. Things are looking good around here, and we're very close to having the slab get poured, I think it will be get poured, be getting poured uh, this into this week or the beginning of next, hopefully, good Lord willing, amen, and uh, we'll get the rough plumbing in this week, the slab poured next, and then we'll start with the sticks, get the frame up, just so exciting to see what God is doing. Amen. So if you're going to put a header on my message today, I'm going to simply call it, Have You Seen My Pilot? Have you seen my pilot? Now, I want to speak to you this morning about something that is so common and so ordinary to the life of a child of God that it ought to be second nature to us, and yet, sadly, too often it is not. What I'm talking about this morning is faith. Faith in God. Faith in our glorious destiny. Faith to live. Faith to be saved. And faith to stay saved. Faith in all of its peremulations and in its entirety and in its glory. Faith is such a powerful thing. That we have as a resource. You couldn't put the price of it on anything. You couldn't put a dollar value on faith. Amen. It's impossible, amen, to place a monetary value upon it because it is the beginning of everything and it is the end of all the results that we can hope for or believe. If we can believe God, if we can have faith, Things will change. Miracles will take place. Our world will change. Our life will change. And people around us will change if we will have faith in God. Paul tells us in Romans 10 and 17, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen. If we we can get something, a hold of something, if we can get it into our mind and then let it seep down into our heart, Let it become a part of our spirit and then filter through into our bodies. Healings could result of that. Mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, and physical healings can all come out of it. If we can begin to believe the word of God, if we can have faith and trust God, things will begin to happen in our lives. In Hebrews 11 and 6 it says, but without faith, It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hallelujah. We learn a lot from that verse of scripture. It stands uh, between us and our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is founded on the foundation of faith. If we're going to get anything from God, we have to first believe in him. We've got to trust Him. We've got to believe in His promises. We've got to accept His claims. We have to believe the Word of God is real for us today. We've got to believe that He exists, that He is. If He is, if He exists, then it stands to reason that all that can come out of that, all that can come through Him and through that existence is available. Amen. It's able to be received. It's able to be accepted if we can believe that he is, first of all. Secondly, that he is a rewarder. He is someone that will give, will, will place an award on, will, will allow us to receive. Amen. When we receive a gift, we have been awarded that gift. And uh, uh, when we receive it, when we receive the award, uh, it becomes a reward to us. We have received it to us. We've accepted it. And then finally, to them that diligently seek him. This is often the key, and this is the weak point for us. It's where we get weak. Amen. It's where, amen, if we, well, I don't know if I should ask God. I don't know if I, God's real busy lately. He's He's helping all these other people, and and God's got the whole universe to run he's got all this stuff to do I just don't really know if I should trouble gobble my little problems hallelujah but Jesus said you have not because you ask not you don't have it because you don't ask for it and if you do ask for it you may ask to consume it upon your own lust hallelujah but he said we need to learn how to ask we need to learn to seek we need to learn to knock and if we do, the door will be opened, and we will receive if we will ask in faith. So, a, we must believe God is that He exists. B, we must believe He is a rewarder that He has something to give us, and that thirdly, we must diligently seek Him. To diligently seek for something is to uh, is to become obsessed with it. To become Obsessively, compulsively driven to find the answer. How many of you have ever been in that situation? Amen. Where you couldn't let something go until you got to the answer, until you discovered what it was that you wanted. You just hung in there. You kept fighting. You kept searching. You kept reaching until finally you could get the answer, amen. Those of us, amen, that throw our hands up and quit and walk away from the struggle and fight will never know what could have been available to us. We will never understand what our destiny could have been. We will never be, begin to realize our spiritual self-realization that would come, amen, if we would connect with God, if we would get with his thoughts, with his thinking, with his mind, with his program, We need to get with the program. Hallelujah. Somebody said get in, get out, or get run over. Amen. There's something coming up behind us. It's the people of God. It's the people of faith. It's the people who believe. You can be a stick in the mud if you want to. You can be somebody that just blocks everybody else's hindrance or path. But I'm telling you, there's somebody that's coming up behind you that'll get a hold of the promise of God. They'll get a hold of faith. They'll get a belief in God. And they're going to do it. They're going to do it in Jesus' name. And they'll run right over you. And you could have been the one, but you threw your hands up and you quit. Hallelujah. So we have to have faith. Amen. It is impossible to please God without faith. Got to have faith. The it goes on to say, that so, that so that by faith Noah, being warned of God, prepared an ark for the saving of his house. By faith Abraham sought for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain and was approved for his faith. By faith, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. All of these things come to us by faith. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hebrews 11 and 3. So that by faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. In my Bible studies, when we start out, amen, lesson one, we start right with the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God That's right. created the heaven and earth. And the Lord said, let there be light. And the Lord said, uh, let there be an atmosphere. And the Lord said, let the dry land appear. And the Lord said... Let green things grow and let the creatures of the sea and the birds of the air and so forth and so on. And there's a wonderful, uh, there is a wonderful uh, parallel uh, between the creation story and what science today tells us about how a world is formed and a solar system is born. It doesn't start with the sun. It starts with light. Amen. as the clouds of gas and dust begin to compact. The gravity that pulls them together, and then begins to glow and it begins to light up. Before the sun ever turns on, the, the, the light of the cloud is already glowing. Who could have ever figured that out 3,500 years ago? There's no ancient myth of creation, no great creation story of any religion, times past, that even comes close to hitting the nail on the head as this creation story. And and there is a tremendous foundation for our faith in creation itself. It gives a witness and a testimony to us of the way that God can move in our life. And so uh, I want to read you some facts from a book uh, that uh, says, uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And it talks about the science of creationism. And it says that there are more than a 100 Narrowly defined constants that strongly point to an intelligent designer. All the things that had to go into making a world that life could live on. There's at least a hundred things that that are so narrowly defined that if you miss them uh, by a small percentage, you would not be able to have life on Earth. One thing is the centrifugal force of planetary motions. If they did not precisely balance the gravitational forces forces in our solar system, then nothing could orbit around the sun. You know what centrifugal force is? If you spin something, amen, that spinning motion is is centrifugal force or energy. And it has to be uh, precisely balanced. The orbit uh, going around is precisely balanced to the gravitation. It's connected. Otherwise, everything would get sucked right into the sun, or it would get thrown right out into outer space. So it's like a scale. It's like a finely tuned balanced scale. Everything is balanced. The one force which would destroy it is held back by another force which preserves it. If you didn't have either, both of them at the same time, you could not have either one of them separately. Secondly, if the universe had expanded at a rate of one millionth more slowly than it did expansion would have stopped and the universe would have collapsed on itself before any stars were formed. If it had expanded any faster, then no galaxies were formed. We're talking about that burst that that science calls the Big Bang. Amen. That cosmic uh, uh, wave background noise that you hear as static on your radio or television. That's the sound, amen, that, that the universe sounded like when it was first born. And if it had been a millionth slower things would not have evolved nothing would have come about and if it had been any faster nothing would have come out it was so finely tuned and balanced by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of god so that things which are seen were not made of were made of things which do not appear i don't really want to take the time to get into Higgs bosons and leptons and all the various subatomic particles that make up an atom and all of that stuff. But if we got all the way down, uh, in, in the last 10 years, tremendous strides have been made in the area of physics to begin to have some kind of an understanding. The, the uh, uh, CERN, the uh, Hadron uh, Collider in CERN, Switzerland, man has begun to help us to understand uh, how that stuff could come out of nothing how it could be born out of nothing and how it could grow and build. But we don't have time to talk about all that. But it's a confirmation of what the Bible said, what was written here 2,000 years ago. Of all the laws of the physics, if any of them can be described as the function of the velocity of light, even a slight variation in the speed of light would alter the other constants and preclude the possibility of life on earth. We know that life, light travels at a rate of about 186,000 miles per second, just a slight deviation, and there would be no life on earth. Water vapor levels in the atmosphere were greater then. Than they are now. If they were greater than they are now, a runaway greenhouse would cause temperatures to rise too high for human life. And if they were less, there would be insufficient greenhouse effect and it would make Earth too cold to support life. Jupiter. Jupiter. If it was not in its current orbit, the Earth would be bombarded by space material. Jupiter is a gravitational field that acts as a cosmic vacuum cleaner, attracting asteroids and comets that it would otherwise. I'll strike the earth. Jupiter has saved the planet earth many times over because it has swept clean from the atmosphere things that were incoming that would have destroyed life on earth. If the thickness of the earth's crust were any greater, too much oxygen would be transferred to the crust to support life. If it were any thinner, volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. The earth would be constantly hot on its surface. In other words, if the rotation of the Earth took longer than 24 hours, temperature differences would be too great between night and day. If the rotation period were shorter, atmospheric velocities would be too great. The 23-degree axle tilt of the Earth is just exactly right. If the tilt were altered slightly, surface temperatures would be too extreme on Earth. If the atmospheric discharge or lightning rate were any greater, there would be so much fire destruction. If it were any less, there would be too little nitrogen to fertilize the soil. There are more, uh, if there were more seismic activity, more life would be lost. If there were less nutrients on the ocean's floors and the river runoffs, would not be cycled back to the continents through tectonic uplift. And it's this cycling of nutrients that helps to keep life going, life alive. Astrophysicist Hugh Ross has calculated the probability of these and other constants. There's 122 of these constants in all. And uh, uh, he's, prob- he's calculated that, uh, w- that they would exist today for any... That if these 122 uh, constants were to exist for any planet in the universe by chance without divine design... Assuming there were 10 to the 22nd planets in the universe, which is a very large number, it's 1 followed by 22 zeros, his answer is shocking. One chance in 10 to 138. That's one chance with 138 zeros after it. Now, to show you, to give you some idea of scale, there is only 10 to the 70th power atoms in the entire universe. So all the matter that's in the universe is much less than the chance that one planet in the whole universe beside the earth would have all 122 constants in place exactly uh, as it's needed to support life. The mathematical odds favoring intelligent design are so incredible that we could drop the argument there and leave it all alone. The noble... Nobel laureate Arno Penzias, who was a co-discoverer of the radiation glow, the cosmic background radiation in the 1960s, through working through Bell uh, Telephone Laboratories, he said this, Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which is created out of nothing and delicately balanced to provide exactly the conditions required to support life. In the absence of an ardently improbable accident, the observations of modern science seem to suggest an underlying one might say, supernatural plan. Cosmologist Ed Harrison uses the word proof when he considers the implications of the anthropic principle in the question of God. He writes, Here is the cosmological proof of the existence of God. The design argument of Paley updated and refurbished. The fine-tuning of the universe provides prima facie evidence of deistic design. I could go on and on and on, but I bore you with science and with quotes. I am simply trying to tell you and to help you to understand that the foundation for our faith is all around us. It is all around us. It is so common. It is so everyday. The bird that flies over our head, that sings at our window in the morning, amen. The rabbits that eat the grass, amen. Life, the trees, the cycles of the season, everything that we see around us is so complex. It is so complicated, Amen. So complicated that no amount of single chance here or there could have ever resulted in the glory that we see every day around us. God's brush strokes are all over the canvas of creation. So how can we not praise the artist? The keystone verses, Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We speak of faith, and uh, often, uh, often it is us in this context, as was Jesus' disciples when he said to them, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith. Here they were walking with the creator of the universe. The master plan, the word of God made flesh, was there in their midst. They were rubbing shoulders with him, eating meals with him, traveling, walking, talking, discoursing with him. They witnessed the miracles that he did. They were constantly amazed at the things that he did. They saw him curse the fig tree. The next day he came back and it was dead as if it had been dead for 20 years. Totally withered up. Oh, ye of little faith! If you had faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and it would be done. They did not understand, nor do we understand really, the power inherent in faith in God. It is faith in God, not faith in us, not faith in our righteousness, not faith in our gifts of faith or gifts of the Spirit, not faith in our prayer life, not faith in our fasting, not faith faith in our super spiritual persona. but faith from an humble heart that is childlike in reverence to the great creator, the grand designer of everything. Hallelujah. Now, I admit that faith is a battle. And I certainly had less faith in faith when I was younger than I am now. And that is because, as with every saint who has walked with God over time, we go from victory to victory, which, is the re- which has the result of producing faith to faith. Somebody wrote a song and said, I think it was Andre Crouch that wrote a song, If I Never Had a Problem, I'd Never Know That God Could Solve Them. I'd Never Know What Faith in God Can Do. Now, we don't like problems. We came in here because we wanted to get rid of some. <laughs> I made a life full of problems for myself. Now I'm going to come and get everything straightened out. I'm going to live for God. Things are going to get better. Amen. Things did get better. Things did get better. Listen, how much better could it have been in the Garden of Eden before the fall? I mean, it was perfect. Right? Did they have any complaints? No. Everything was good. I mean, apples falling out of the trees. Peach cobbler every day for dessert. I mean, whatever they wanted, it was just right there. But something happened to change their perspective. Something entered the garden, dark, mysterious, and deadly. And it began to speak to Eve and says, Hath God said You shall not eat of every tree of the Garden of Eden. And for the first time in her life, she began to look around her as if she was someone being deprived of a reward, of a benefit, of something good. She began to think that God wasn't all for her, that he didn't have her best interest in mind and heart, and that he was withholding and keeping something back from her. He began to make her feel discontent discontent. It is in this stage that Satan so often works against our faith. If he can get in between us and God with a problem, if he can get us to begin to look around and think that things aren't going the way I think they ought to go, that things are not happening as I as I believe they should, that there's difficulty here, that there's problems, that I'm struggling with something, I, I, I'm, if he can begin to make us feel like that, he can begin to make us feel like that God is not for us, That God is not personal for us. That God really doesn't care about us. And that God's going to let us be abandoned and and fall apart. Things aren't going to be well for us. He He can begin to separate us from God and to separate us from faith and belief in God. Hallelujah. A child, a baby, a little child, your child comes running to you whenever they have a problem. He or she will come to you when they have a problem, knowing and believing their mama, their daddy has the answer. They whatever it is, you can fix it. I recall a certain Christmas a few years ago when my grandson Gideon was only maybe two or three years old, and we had was celebrating Christmas and Christmas Eve at my house, and presents were being opened, and there was a uh, train set that he got. Uh, I think it was uh, Thomas uh, Tank Engine train set or something like that. And and uh, and uh, his daddy was putting the track together for him and trying to assemble it. You know, in the midst of all the, everything else, you're trying to do with presents and putting garbage away and stuff. And it's time to go home, and the kid's tired, and he's about ready to have a meltdown. And and daddy's trying to get the train, put it back in the box, and something went wrong with one of the things on it. Something went wrong with it, and, and Gideon started crying. He said. Park can fix it! Park can fix it! Park can fix it! <laughs> oh, if we would be like little children with our faith it'd say, God can fix it! God can fix it! God can fix it! Hallelujah! Well, Get on out of here! Get on out! Get out of my kitchen! Get out of here! Go on! Get lost! Get lost! Get out! Of here. Take your garbage out of my head! Get it out of my heart! Stop talking! Stop talking to me, devil! I'm talking to my God, my God, my Father in heaven. He can fix it. He can fix it. Hallelujah. Romans twelve and six says, "Having gifts." Differing according to the grace that is given us according to the proportion of faith. So what I want to say to you about this scripture is that faith has an inherent quality of the spirit that grows. Faith can be childlike in its own self. And so often when we're babes in Christ, when we're new people in Christ, God issues little challenges to us. They're not really big challenges. They're frightening, nonetheless, because we don't know that we should believe or can believe or trust God. One of the first challenges God will issue you when you come to the Lord is in the area of your finances. And this is not going to be a sermon on finances, but you have never heard of tithe or paying or giving 10% to God in your whole life. You were given a whole lot more to the devil when you were lost in sin. And how much of your income did you spend on all the stuff, amen, that you felt like you couldn't live life without? Booze and drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and tobacco and and dope and whatever it was, amen, that you might have been doing. Indulging your pleasures, seeking the pleasures of sin for a season. You spent a lot of money on that. You didn't think anything about it because you had to have that in order to live. Now, you come to the Lord, and God's saving you all that money. He's saving you all that money. Man, I don't even know what a, pack, what a box of cigarettes costs today, or even a pack. But I heard this way up there. Somebody said it was like $8 or $10 for a pack of cigarettes. That is a lot of money. And some people do two or three a day you imagine taking 20 10 20 or $30 of your grocery money and your kids' college money and blowing it out your nose every day. <laughs> that's, true. that's true. It's true. Woo. Think how much God has saved you. Right. And give that 10% gladly to the Lord because that's one of the first tests he's going to make. He said, I'll open up the windows of heaven. And pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain, Hallelujah. Press down, heaped up, and running over. Some men give into your bosom if you give your tithe and your offering to God. Amen. And so that's a test that a new convert has to make. That's right. It's amazing. It's amazing how much ten percent could look like when it comes to giving it to God, but how little it looks like when we come to throwing it away in sin. And that's a devil perspective, but it is a test of God. It is a test of God to us, Amen. To begin, to, God is trying to say to look, look. If you believe in me, if you'll trust me. If you'll show that you trust me by giving the 10% so that religion can go on, that faith, that the word can be preached, that churches can be built, that souls can be saved, if you'll invest in my kingdom, if you'll help my kingdom to grow, I will open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out a blessing to you. Now, that is the word of God. Amen. It's just not somebody, amen, that wants to preach to get your money. I believed that all of my life. My father before me believed that all of his life. I've been paying tithe all of my life. Hallelujah. And God has blessed me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So faith is something that can grow. The gift of faith is perhaps the least understood, is the most underutilized, and yet the most powerful of all of the gifts of God. Because faith in God is the trigger for anything and everything happening for us. If we could but believe in God. Hallelujah. Now, our world. Uh, here's, here's something here. Uh, in the, uh, the movie, classic movie, A Miracle on 34th Street. How many of you know that? A Miracle on 34th Street. A lot of us like to watch that around Christmas time. I used to hate to watch it. The reason I hated to watch it is it was too much like my life. No, it's a wonderful life. I'm sorry. It's a wonderful life. Okay, I got to mix that. Wonderful life. Thank you, Sister Faith. You keep this straight. Well, I hope we don't. I hope we don't really watch Miracle on 34th Street because that's. About Santa Claus. I do not believe in Santa Claus. I do not believe in teaching children about Santa Claus. Oh, it's so tempting though, isn't it? I want to rob them of the magic of childhood. Well, the magic is in the cradle. It's not in the sleigh. It's in the cradle. That's what the truth is. That's what the glory is. Well, y'all are getting quiet on me. It's almost as quiet as a Church of Christ convention in here. Come on, you gotta warm up your amens. But anyway, Santa Claus said, as much as the world thinks that faith is. Santa Claus says, faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. In other words, faith is irrational, contrary to experience, logic, and knowledge. And so it's even at the most common sense level. Well, if our faith key were something called Santa Claus, if we learn to believe and trust in him, amen, then it stands to reason that all the rest of our ability to think of faith would be the same kind of illogic, the same kind of it doesn't make sense and you don't really know if it's true or not. So transfer that early faith that's built on a false foundation to a faith that you need to have to believe in God. And you already have a shaky faith. Amen. That's right. But if you found it on the right thing, the true thing that never changes, that will not change, that is unalterable, it's history, it's fact. If you found it on that, you can grow with that. You can grow upon that. Hallelujah. Martin Luther, who made himself an apostle and a champion of faith alone, wrote the following. He said, faith is a living, busy, active, powerful thing. It is impossible for us not to do good continually. It never asks whether good works are to be done, but it has done them before it has time to ask the questions, and it is always doing them. Amen. So there is a connection to faith and living life. Amen. When we have a when we have a faith quality in our life, there is a faith quality that comes out of our life. Amen. You you cannot separate your spiritual life and walk from God with the faith that is in you. You cannot separate it. If you don't trust God, if you don't have faith, you can come to church, you can clap, you can sing, you can pray, you can talk in tongues all day long if you want to. But if you don't go out of there and have faith to believe God, amen, you will not live a life, amen, that is directed by that faith. But if there is that faith inside of you, when life meets the challenge, Faith stands as your ally. Amen. And you can meet that challenge and face that foe and believe and trust God. I will rise. I will come up above this. Amen. Amen. God will help me get through. Amen. Ah, fix- <laughs> ah. You know, uh, lack of faith and lack of trust in people, lack of, lack of trust in God, All of it uh, is is leading us uh, into some very difficult and and stressful times. Um, uh, uh, Overall, Americans seem to be doing well. Average stress levels are trending downward a little bit, 4.9 in 2014 versus 6.2. But in 2007, on a 10-point scale where 1 is little or no stress and 10 is a great deal of stress, and people generally say that they're in good health. 80% say their health is excellent, very good, or good. <clears throat> Yet there is a portion of our of our uh, culture, of our society, that uh, is, has more stress, greater stress, uh, than the, the uh, surveys would seem to show. And it seems that parents... <coughs> Younger generations and those living in lower income households making less than 50000 a year have a different experience where stress is greater. The report is higher levels of stress than Americans overall and especially when it comes to money and those who have particularly high stress about money are more likely to say that they engage in unhealthy behavior to manage their stress. So we're talking about, they've got bad problems with finances and they're trying to manage it by going to alcohol or going to drugs or going to do stuff, they spend their money on stuff, that is not going to help them overall and is costing them. Women who consistently report high levels of overall stress and unhealthy behaviors to manage stress also report high levels of stress about money. And what's more, the gap between the percentage of those who appear to be doing well when it comes to managing their stress and the percentage of those who are not who are not is growing it is growing and so stress is a problem anxiety is a problem worrying about things is a problem amen but it is a problem that the church should not have to have dealing with in overwhelming numbers well oh, i'm aware that we can get into situations that you know can test us and stress us but overall, I believe that God's people are much healthier and much happier and have much me- less mental stress. Why? Why can we face death? Why can we face sickness? Why can we face cancer? Why can we face problems? Amen. With the calmness we face, it's because we believe something higher than us has got a hold of our life. Amen, and we're built, our life is built on a foundation. Hallelujah, that God is able. He is faithful. He is faithful. Joel Osteen in his book, Your Best Life Now, talks about the power in our words, and he, he, he mentions Jose Lima. Anybody know that name? Jose Lima started as a pitcher for the Houston Astros in the 1990s, and he was an ongoing energetic, likable young ball player and usually has a very positive attitude, but when the Astros built their new ballpark, which is now known as Minute Maid Park, Jose was upset. The fence on the left field was much closer than the fence that was in the Astrodome. In fact, Minute Maid Park has one of the shortest distances from home plate to the left field fence of any ballpark in Major League Baseball, and the hitters love it. But the short left field makes it tougher for pitchers, especially when they're working against right-handed batters who tend to hit into the left field. And so the first time Jose Lima stepped onto the new diamond, he walked out on the pitcher's mound, and he looked at the outfield, and immediately he noticed the close proximity of the left field fence, and he said, I'll never be able to pitch in here. And the next season, Despite the enthusiasm of the fans, and the excitement of playing in a brand new ballpark, Jose had the worst year of his career. He plummeted from being a 20-game winner to being a 16-game loser in back-to-back seasons. Never in the history of the Astros franchise had any pitcher experienced such a pronounced negative turnaround. What happened to Jose? The same thing that happens to many of us every day. We get what we say. Our words become self-fulfilling prophecies. If you allow your thoughts to defeat you and give birth to negative attitudes, you will be defeated. Your self-fulfilling prophecy about your life will come to pass. But if you'll get up and say... It is a brand new day. This is the day the Lord has made. All my sins are behind me. Amen. The mercies of God are new every morning. I can start over. It's a fresh day. My slate is clean. My calendar is open. I'm ready to receive blessings from God. I'll lift up my hands in praise to the creator of everything. And believe and trust God that he's got this day in his hands. He's controlling me. Thanks. My, 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 how time flies when I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to refer you back again to 2 Timothy. And uh, what Paul says in verse 12, where he says, For I know in whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed Unto him against that day. There's at least five points worth considering in that single sentence or paraphrase. There's at least five points there. I know. Do you know something? When you know something, it's not negotiable. You can't argue about it. To know something. To be receiver of information. I know this. I know this. People can argue with you all day long and say, no, 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 it was not that, it was not that. But if you were there, if you know it, if you know it, it doesn't matter what they say. You know. You've got to know. I know in whom I have believed. That's the second thing. Amen. Believing in God. I know I believe, and who I believe in is God. I know that I know that I know that I know that I believe that I believe. I believe in God. It is God that I believe in. And am persuaded. To know something is, is to make you to be persuaded of it. If you know something is true, you are persuaded and you are in a position to persuade. There's a saying that says the man that is convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Uh, He's not been persuaded, you see, because he knows something different. But if you know something, listen, I know Acts 2.38 is the word of God. I know it's the absolute message preached on the day of Pentecost by the apostles. I know that it is the key to unlocking all the rest of the New Testament and understanding the whole complex plan of salvation. I know that, and nothing will change that knowledge. I know it, and I am persuaded of it, and I'm capable of persuading others of it. Amen. Because what you know cannot be challenged by anyone else's uh, doubt. If you know it, it cannot be challenged by that. That he is able. And so that brings us to another part. God is able. Ability. Ability means the, uh, uh, the, the functionality, uh, the capability to do something. God is able. Everybody say, God is able. God is able. God's hands are not tied by any of our circumstances. The only thing that, that stops God is our lack of faith. If we don't know, we can't be persuaded. That's right. Amen. And nothing else can follow through. That he is able to keep that which I've committed. There's two more things. To keep means to hold fast. God's ability to keep what I have given him is the same thing as having it locked in a safe in heaven where no one can break in and steal. A strong box that no corruption can ever corrode the contents of. It is put away. God is able to keep it. Hallelujah. What I've committed to him, he's keeping it. It's safe with God. There's very little that we can, can say in this life that we can put our possessions and things that we value somewhere where we can be safe. Some people are buying gold because they don't trust banks to keep their money safe. Well, you buy gold and what do you do? You store it in your the mat- mattress under your house. Right. Where thieves can break in and steal. Yeah. Somebody said, I don't put my money in the bank. I don't trust banks. You've got money in your house. You leave your door unlocked. The thief could come in and steal it. Great. Things are not safe. Things are not safe in this world. There's nothing we can turn to be safe. But God was able to keep safe. That which I have committed unto him. Yes. Committed. Have we committed our life? Have we truly given him our life? Amen. Uh, If we've entrusted Him with our finances, that's a commitment. i paid that 10%. I don't think I can afford it, but i paid it. I'm going to pay it. I've committed it. I'm trusting God to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. The day that I need it. The day that the money ain't in the bank. God's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the gold and silver and diamonds in the hills. Amen. God is able to send us what we need. And this is a time-tested truth. That has been tested by people of God who have had to live by faith over the years. And God has brought the groceries to their doorstep, delivered checks in the mail, pulled them through, done it. God did it. God did it for us. He did it for me. He did it for you. (laughs) Hallelujah. To keep that which I've committed to him against that day, that day of trouble, that day of calamity, that day of adversity. That little Shunai woman, amen, she didn't have a child, and she served God. She made a chamber for her, in her house for the prophet to come as he was dra- traveling. This was his, his evangelist quarters where he could come in and stay, and she would feed him and take care of him. And he said, well, what can we do for you? And she said, well, I, I, I'd, I'd love to have a son. And this time next year, you're going to have a son. She did. And the boy grew up. He was maybe four or five years old. He was out one day. His father was reaping in the field. And he was out working trying to help his dad. And he got a sunstroke or something. And he collapsed. He collapsed. He went into a coma or he died. And and, and so she left him at home and went quickly as she could to find Elisha to pray for him. Uh, And and, uh, Elisha said, see, here comes that Shunanite woman. Gehazi, go see what she wants. And he sent his servant to her. And, she, and he asked, is everything okay? Is, is it well? Is your husband well? Is your house well? Is your child well? She said, it is well. Yeah. <laughs> when it wasn't well. That's right. When her baby was lying sick or dead back home. And she was on a desperate mercy mission to try to get an answer, a healing from the man of God. But this guy, he's not the man. And so she's not, she don't have anything to talk to him about. It is well. Just get out of my way. Get me to the man of God. Amen. And so she came. Amen. Amen. And she got what she was looking for. Amen. But you see, this was not the wringing hands kind of faith. The falling apart kind of faith. The throwing up my hands and quitting kind of faith. The kind of faith that says, I just don't trust, I don't believe God. I will not even ask God because I don't trust and I don't believe. She knew where to go to get the answer. She knew where to go to get the answer. Amen. And in her heart as she was traveling, amen, she was saying in her mind, it's going to work out. It's going to be all right. It is going to be well. It might not be well right now, but faith says it is well. Well, you can stand. I'm closing. I have one final <laughs> illustration to make. I'd like musicians to come quickly. Amen. The altar will be open. You can come and pray. If you need the Holy Ghost, come pray. If you need answers from God, come pray. Amen. You want to surrender to the Lord in some way in your life? Come. If you want to be strengthened the Lord? Come and pray. Come and pray. This is the place to pray. Have you seen my pilot? Robert Louis Stevenson tells a vivid story of a storm at sea. And here on the ship, the passengers below the deck were greatly alarmed as the waves were crashing over the vessel. And at last, one of them, against all orders to stay below decks, crept upstairs to the deck, and he came to the pilot, who was last to the wheel, And he was last to that wheel, which he was turning without flinching. The pilot caught sight of the terror-stricken man and gave him a reassuring smile. And so the passenger then went below, and he comforted the other people below decks. He said, I have seen the face of the pilot. And he smiled, all is well. All is well. Hallelujah. That stormy night at sea when Jesus was asleep in the boat and the disciples were bailing for all their worth. And they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And they woke him up. And he spoke and he said, Peace, be still. And the waves stopped. Hallelujah. We have the master pilot of our ship. He is the pilot of our bark of salvation. He is the pilot of your life and my life. Hallelujah. Amen. And when the storms come and the winds blow and you're tossed and you're worried and you're anxious and you're stressed out, you don't know where the answer is going to come from or how it's going to come from. Amen. You need to go and take a peek. And see, the pilot is there. Look at the face of the pilot. Is he worried? No, he's not worried. He'll give you a twinkle and a wink of the eye. He'll give you a little smile. Amen. And he's standing duty guard. Amen. Guiding and steering and directing. God is guiding your life. Don't quit on him. Don't give up. Don't abandon ship. It's not time to jump overboard. Amen. It's time to trust the pilot. Always well, let's see. <laughs>